Today's guest is Jeremy Popoff. He and his brother AJ invented a genre of music. I call it lit music. Equal parts, heavy guitars, power pop, and new rock. Lit has made eight records, toured all over the world many, many times, and recently made the move to Nashville, where they've been coming to ride for probably 15 years. Jeremy and AJ recently made a Popoff Brothers record, which from what I've heard, it's killer. It's a new step in the ever-evolving process of being a working writer, a producer, and a musician. We hadn't spoken in a while, and it was great to catch up with my buddy, Jeremy Popoff. Oh, dude. Dude, that, that hat is awesome, man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we just got him. I like that. It was, it was that... weird wearing your own merch, but hey, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't know, so that's cool. Is that Christopherson on that blanket behind you, or is that Mel Gibson? Kenny Rogers. Oh, sweet. The freaking gambler, man. I got this at Bridgestone. It has the date of the show and everything on it. It's the, it's the, it says, uh, uh, October 25th, 2017, Nashville. There was this farewell. Uh, wow. Farewell gig. Dude, awesome. my, my first landlord was the publisher on that song. No and, shit. Yeah. And he said the writer of it actually needed a refrigerator. It's Don Schlitz, of course. Right. He needed a refrigerator, and he gave him the rights, the publishing to that song, if he would buy him a refrigerator. And he later went back and said, no, this is, this is completely wrong. And he, he gave him back his publishing, but how about that? That's crazy. Dude. I'm, this town's so full of stories like that though. You know? I mean, oh, even, I know it. Even Willie, you know? Well, man, thank you so much for doing this, dude. It means the world to me. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. It's good to see you. Good to see you. I'm glad to see bit. you. You got the beard coming back. Just started, the, you know, since the lockdown, I started the, when, I first got, <laughs> when we first started walking it down, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to grow my beard out. And then yeah. when I got like that, um, my wife was kind of like, uh, you know, <laughs> can we lose that? I'm like, well, uh, I'm going to go pee back then and go old school. So, man, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I was going to grow the big Grizzly Adams beard and, and same thing. My wife, after about two weeks, went, mm, no. Yeah, my my wife and my kid always say like, "Dad, you look so much younger when you shave." I'm like, "I'm not fucking 48 years old. What am I, what am I going to look like? I'm 42 or something? Like, why why can't I just have a damn beard and be a grown ass man?" <laughs> Dude, my youngest niece asked me. She goes, "Uncle Bart, can I braid your beard?" And I just like thought, "Sure, what? Do whatever you want." And of course, she has to be super close to do that. So she's braiding my beard, and then she just looks up at me and she goes. I've never touched hair this color before. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're out of the will, kid. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. That's good. <laughs> good so, uh, so, man, on an official note, how, welcome to Nashville finally, right? I mean, you guys have all moved out here. You're here. That's yeah, man. We're uh, very, very stoked to be here. We, you know, as you know, I've been coming to Nashville for – Oh, geez, over 15 years now. Yeah. Um, had another place here a while back. and um, But this house we bought like three and a half years ago. And with the idea, we kind of bought it on accident. You know, we found it and fell in love with it and, and uh, had to have it. But, um, you know, we've just been coming a week, a month or whenever we can, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But right when the lockdown thing started happening, we just said, we're out of here, man. We hopped on a tour bus, came out here with the dogs, and, and uh, we were here in two days, and, and it's been awesome. So so what part of town are you in, or do you even – and don't say if you don't want to say. No, we're, we're in East Nashville. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I'm, I'm down Leaper's Fork, man. I'm way out in the country. Yeah, yeah I love country. Leaper's Fork, man. It's like it's a Dude. great spot. I've been down here almost – Almost thirty years, so it's it's definitely home. But uh, I put some guitars out for you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> You'd feel like we're at home here. But okay, so so lit. You and AJ, you guys are from Orange County. Is yep. there is there any other siblings in the family that are not in the band or or? No, man, just the two of us. Um, two of us were two years apart and, um, yeah, I mean, we, we went to our first concert together and we shared our albums together and then we kind of grew up learning how to play music together. So, man, so were you in a, is it a, is it a musical family? Was, was dad a closet bass player or something or anything like that? Um, he wasn't, our dad was a, was a radio DJ. So really? uh, yeah, so we and our grandfather was a was a, a jazz musician, and so you know we'd spend weekends at our, our grandparents' house, and he was always playing the organ or playing his drums and singing, and uh, and then our dad was just he was on the radio every day when we were kids, and so we he was on top forty radio, and so okay. we were just we were surrounded by music that was just popular music, you know, and it was everything. Yeah. From, everything from Kenny Rogers to, you know, to the cars and Van Halen, you know, it was just whatever was popular at the time. That's what top 40 radio was. So we, we got a good injection of a lot of different styles of music, you know, when we were kids, everything from big band to heavy metal to pop to, you know, what, I guess what you would call yacht rock. Now that was pretty much the soundtrack of our childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I one thing I was going to ask you guys is, or ask you, sorry, is what would you call lit music? Is it punk? Is it alternative? Is it pop? Is it just, is it just, do you guys have your own genre, just lit music? Hmm. I, you know, it's been, um, it's been classified as so many different things. I mean, we definitely became kind of known for that late nineties, early two thousands era of, pop punk or alternative or um but we've always just considered ourselves a rock band yeah because we've got so many different influences and styles and all of our records have been have kind of gone different places we've experimented with all kinds of different i mean even on a place in the sun which was our biggest record yeah my worst enemy on it i mean that had a song that had a you know the horn section from earth wind and fire was you know on one song and then we had uh, we just were never afraid to to just try stuff and to yeah. explore different sounds or different um, styles or whatever. So, but uh, underneath it all, where we're a rock and roll band, you know, we we have a few drinks and we go out on stage and and <laughs> knock shit over and have a great time. And and um, would you say you knock shit over? <laughs> yeah, you, most often. Um, we just we came from that we came from that era of you know there was still a little bit of danger in, in rock and yeah. roll and that was what um we what we loved we loved going to see a show and like you know everybody on stage including the amps and the cymbals and everything 
about what was happening was kind of like, shit, you know, at any moment now this could go off the rails. Or something. <laughs> it's all, it's all target practice. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that was a school that we went to. So, you know, even still to this day when we're running around, we're like, you know, we're just, <clears throat> we're just doing it, living it. Like what we, yeah. you know, like what inspired us when we were kids, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I've, you guys are always so much fun to watch because there's so much energy and, and you're right, there's at any given moment, AJ might come flying off the drum riser and smack you in the head. And you so just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> sure the, the, the scariest part is he's, he usually breaks a microphone stand every night on, not on purpose, <laughs> but just because he's leaning on it so much. And, and so about halfway through the set, I get a little nervous when he starts swinging that thing around because I've had that bass come flying at me before. And Dude. That thing, not, <laughs> that's not It's like 10 pounds of lead, man. Yeah. So in 97, you guys put out Trip of the Light, Fantastic, and then the, the label went out of business, which is pretty cool. So what, what did you do? Did you just sit on the couch and go, okay, here's we're going to go play a million shows and just forget about it and just grind, 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 grind? Well, that, so that record came out on Delicious Vinyl, which was a, you know, a, a, a rap label. You know, it had yeah. Helen Loke and Young MC and The Far Side and uh, Master Ace. And it was a very cool indie Hollywood record company. And there was a couple of dudes that worked there that were huge metal fans and rock fans. And so they, um, they gave these guys an imprint, called it Malicious Vinyl. And, um, <laughs> and it was fun, you know, it was kind of our first, I mean, we would, we would drive up to Hollywood and spend hours in the mailroom, you know, putting stamps and, and mailing labels on, uh, yeah. postcards. And we were just always promoting and kind of doing that. Um, and it wasn't so much that they went out of business. It's just that we kind of outgrew them. And during that time we were playing a lot, we were touring, I mean, we were out playing in front of two people or 12 people or we'd get lucky and go open up for somebody and there was, you know, a thousand people there. But we would just, we would be in our motorhome and just literally zigzag wherever somebody would have us. And then in the meantime, in Orange County and in L.A., we, we were, I mean, we were popular in Southern California. We would sell out shows whenever we played. Um, and so there were always a lot of labels and stuff looking at us and wondering like, why are all these people here to look to watch these guys? But, right. um, but you know, we just were hell bent and relentless and we just kept playing our asses off and writing our asses off. And, um, a lot of people think that a place in the sun is our first album, but, um, you know, and that whole thing, like you have your whole life to write your first one and six yeah. months to write your second one. Well, place yeah. in the sun was our second one. And we had a little more than six months to write it, but we, wrote it relatively quickly and probably in the span of maybe a year, year and a half, that record was written and, and every label passed on it. Um, <laughs> so we just had no choice, but to just kind of keep doing what we were doing because the shows were going well and we were throwing these legendary parties at our warehouse and making money doing that. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then all of a sudden one day, boom, RCA called and it was, off to the races within like weeks after that it was and rca had passed us three times i think who signed, who signed you there was that ron fair it was ron fair and bruce yeah. Ford. yeah okay okay i work with those guys 
when I was yeah, at RCA. Great dude. I love him still to this day. Yeah, we have, absolutely. What a blast of a time that was too. Cause you know, Ron, this was, he had just signed Christina Aguilera, but she hadn't come out yet. Oh, wow. And the last couple things that he had signed at the time weren't really successful. So he was kind of like, he, he wanted to sign us, but he was like, I don't know if I got the clout to do this on my own. So he had to bring Bruce Flora into it. Okay. Bruce, Bruce was one of the guys that had passed on us already. Um, but um, yeah, it's funny just how it all worked and, and what a big year that was for both of those guys and us and the radio team. And then, and then right out of the, you know, right behind us was Christina and, and, and then Bruce had Foo Fighters and, and it was just this, there was a momentum at that time that was Dude. just awesome to be part of that and to be, you know, in that, in that water to ride those waves, you know, cause it was, what a blast. Well, that record totally puts you into arena land. I mean, the first time I saw you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, you were on the road with no doubt here in Nashville and you were a certifiable amphitheater act. I mean, that had to feel good to go out there. And did you guys just have the, the, the vibe of like, okay, not all these people are here to see us, but we're going to make the headliner work that much harder because you guys were killer, man. Oh, thank you, man. I mean, at that point on the No Doubt Tour, we had been, we had been on tour nonstop since January of the, the previous year. So the No Doubt Gosh. Tour was summer of 2000. We had been on tour since January of 99. So literally hadn't been home. And um, our original... Our original game plan, if you you know, if you can call it that, in our perfect world scenario, we just wanted to open up for great bands, play great festivals, yeah, get on the radio shows, and just play in front of as many people live as we could. And then the plan was right out two thousand um, spring of two thousand, do a you know U.S. and Canada headlining tour, and that was. And we did, and it was and it was awesome. But we had to cut it short because No Doubt called and said they wanted us to do. I think it was a three month tour, um, the whole U.S. and Canada. And um, at the time, I mean, we actually, we actually contemplated not doing it because we were like, "Damn, we're in the middle of our headlining tour." And then after this, we were thinking about maybe going home for a little bit, and, right? You know, and, and seeing <laughs> if we still have any family or friends left over there. But yeah. Um, and then we thought about, we're like, dude, how do we, how do we not go out with no doubt? I mean, they're from our hometown and they're, yeah. and it was, and it was great. So we ended up shaving a couple weeks off our headline tour, going back home, resting for like two weeks. And, and then we went out for like that. And that was the very last night of the no doubt tour was in Orange County. And, oh, man. and then we all went home after a year and a half of just crazy ride and slept in for like three weeks. <laughs> So what was it like um, when you guys played uh, Woodstock 99? What was that like? Man. Can you even put a, put a description on it? The, the coolest thing I remember about Woodstock, the funny part is that um, we were still touring in our motorhome. We were still in a Winnebago. Okay. We hadn't had time to get back to California yet. <laughs> Um, even though we had a gold record and, and it was approaching platinum and we had this, you know, big hit on the radio, we were like, well, all our shit's in this RV and we're not going to be in California anytime soon. Uh, in retrospect, we probably could have figured it out. But at the time we were just like, no man, we're going to stay in this thing until we, 
Yeah. You know? and, uh, so we literally pulled up to Woodstock, you know, Winnebago, like full Sanford and Son, just like all these killer buses lined up and then lit pulls in like, you know, we got like fucking chairs strapped to the roof and shit. And, um, <laughs> and it was, uh, so I remember that. And I remember how many people were in our RV partying and drinking Jaeger with us. It was like, for some reason, our, our, our schlocky motorhome was always like the magnet for just like, yeah. Uh, dudes and other bands and just like people it, it, we had a Jaeger machine on it and it was um, but that so I remember that and I also remember it being you know that was summer of 99 yeah and so we had been out for six months up to that point and there was no social media then so it was and we were the first band on the pay-per-view so it was the first time our friends and our families got to see what we were up to. And, and Man. that I think was the biggest thrill <laughs> of it was yeah. I mean, cool. It's great having the poster with your name next to all those great names. But for us, it was awesome that our grandparents and our, and our, you know, our, our friends and our, just everybody, our parents, they got to like, you know, to put it on their TV and go, Oh, look, there's the boys and they're doing it. And yeah. wow, that crowd. And, and we knew they were watching. So it was kind of neat, you know, but do you, have uh, any, do you have any idea how many people were there? Jeez. I, I have no idea. That's gotta be. If you see footage of, of lit playing it, we were actually on the side stage. Oh, so you the, were. I mean, I think there was maybe 80,000, 90,000 people on the damn side stage. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if they called it the side stage. That there was definitely, I don't know if it was the east stage and the west stage or whatever. There were two. I mean, our stage was massive. Probably still to this day, one of the biggest stages we've ever been on. So I don't know that the other one was necessarily bigger, but it was. But it was crazy. I mean, it was. It was like you know, probably one of the first times that I looked over and like really had a tough time seeing where Kevin was, you know, cause it was like, <laughs> right. you know, 80 yards away or something. Yeah. Crazy, you know? You're just looking for a bass guitar. Yeah. And we didn't Golly. have any gear yet. So we, uh, or monitors. So like, it was kind of like if you went to the, you know, went to the wings or went to rock out in the front to try to look cool. Yeah. On TV, you're like, Oh shit, I can't hear anything. <laughs> so it was fun as hell though. Dude, uh, that, that's that's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. So you guys do tour album, tour album, tour album, tour album. I mean, you've worked for or worked with so many great producers and stuff, like Marty Fredrickson and Butch Walker and stuff. Can you can you describe the difference between producers and how they work? with you guys because you guys are a self-contained you're a band you're not you're not kenny rogers who's coming in and just doing songs i mean you're a band can you just describe the difference in how producers look at you guys or how they work with you guys well of course i mean each each one of those guys well i mean butch and marty still dear friend just wrote with oh yeah they're fantastic just talked just was texting with butch yesterday um and, you know, Don Gilmore produced Place in the Sun and Atomic. Right. He was very much, um, well, I mean, they all, I, I just the way they make records is so different now. Um, you know, yeah. with, with Don, it was, you know, Pro Tools was around, but it was still relatively new. And so we were still recording the two-inch tape. 
And then Don Gilmore had this crazy idea where he, like for A Place in the Sun, he mic'd up the entire drum set and cranked it through a live PA. So he had mics on the drums, but then he had mics in the room picking up the PA. And then he recorded all the drums to two inch and then bounced them from two inch to Pro Tools. And then once they were edited and whatever, then back to two inch, it was like over the top, indulgent, you know, ridiculous way to spend money in the studio. But that's what you did back then. Like you're paying, (laughs) you know, you know, a couple thousand dollars a day to be at NRG studios. And, you know, the labels rented you an apartment for two months and, you know, like, all right, next week's going to be guitars. And, and you're like, okay, sweet. And nowadays, you know, we go in and we can cut five songs in a day, you know, with, yeah. with everybody. So, but um, Don was, for the first record, was very much just kind of capturing the moment because we were already kind of there. The songs were pretty much ready. The label was in a hurry and we were kind of off to the races. Atomic was when he really stepped in and, and helped us. Cause at that point, fuck, we were all over the place. I mean, we were, yeah. you know, between those two records, like we went from being broke to being rich from being single to being married to having, having houses and cars. And so to try to get everybody on the same page was like, we, we needed, we needed a, almost a life coach and a wrangler um, to, to be able to get that one done. Um, and it's interesting cause you, you bring up Butch. I actually brought, I wanted Butch to produce Atomic at one point and the label said that he wasn't a big enough name. Really? And, uh, it's a, it's fucking hilarious. We laugh at, we laugh about it to this day. It's like, yeah, man, remember when I called you and said, you know, I want you to produce this record. And, um, would he have been in atomic three at the time or what's that? Or Marvel, would he have been in a, a, a marvelous three at the time or was that after I marvelous think, three? I think it was, yeah, I think marvelous three, um, they were still, yeah, it was kind of like that last Marvelous 3 record, right? Okay. Um, and then years later, you know, he produced um, The View from the Bottom with us. And yeah. um, that was a blast because we were just, it, it was just a, kind of a short process. We did it around the holidays and he had this great studio down near Venice Beach. And, and we just, we drank a lot of great wine and told a lot of stories, watched a lot of <laughs> YouTube, hilarious YouTube videos um, guy on a buffalo and, and all that funny stuff, and then in between we made it, made a great record, and that and, and yeah, for sure. There were times where we had to kind of stop having fun for a minute and focus on you know what we were what we were doing, what we were making. But Butch is you know, I mean, I love I've we've been really like good friends for since we met. We we kind of grew up playing in bands together on the yeah. Sunset Strip, and we didn't really know each other then. But when we started doing radio shows together in like 99, 2000, we had that in common. You know, we reminisced about the old Hollywood days that we kind of cut our teeth on. And, um, but, um, yeah, he's, he's just a ridiculously talented, um, yeah. ver- I mean, it doesn't really matter if he's, if he's singing or playing or recording or writing or whatever He's equally good at all of those things. And, um, and, and Marty too, man, Marty's like a, Marty's kind of a chameleon in a way. Like I feel like with Butch's stuff, you can tell a Butch Walker production almost in the instant you hear it. You yeah. Know? I would uh, totally agree with you. Which I think is awesome. You know, yeah. whereas Marty is more of like kind of morphs into the band a little bit and almost 
you can't really tell, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it, but like, you know, you, when you hear some of the Aerosmith stuff and then, you know, you hear some of the other, uh, his other productions, like he almost finds a way to kind of weave himself into the fabric of the band and almost becomes yeah. a fifth member, you know? No, I would totally agree with you. I, I, I think Marty is a, is a guy that doesn't necessarily have a stamp where I think a lot of producers like Butch, I think, like you say, there's a, if you made a solo record, if I made a solo record with Butch producing both of them, you would go, oh yeah, that's, that's Butch producing that record. Yeah. Well, right? I, and he kind of, I mean, it's been a long time. It's been over 20 years, but Butch came from the, you know, that Atlanta, you know, Brendan O'Brien, yeah. you know, school of production. So Brendan O'Brien was one of my favorite producers. Oh, dude. And, and he had that sound where you were like, yep. You know, yeah. Uh, even with like Dave Jordan or some of those guys from back in the day, it was like, oh, man. you heard a, 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 a song, you were like, oh, I know that is. So I love that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I also love the other side of it too, when you can kind of be, um, you know, sort of a chameleon and, and just, you know, try to pull out from the band what you're trying to get. And, and ultimately you're trying to get them to sound like a better version of themselves, you know? That's a great way to put it. I think Butch is a big, big guitar and amp guy and not necessarily, uh, uh, I know he uses Pro Tools, but it's not like the main tool that he uses. You know what I'm, I'm saying? It's like, it, I think he's a really, if you look at his studio out in LA now or around LA, it's it's like, it's really organic. It's like, it's old tube stuff everywhere and a pool table and old motorcycles. And it's kind of really organic and it, it, it's kind of old schooly, even though it's really high tech. And, and to me, he's more of that kind of guy. Well, and that was one of the, one of the things that we kind of bonded over too, after the whole music business, Hollywood days, all that. Um, I remember the first time I went to his house in Atlanta when he was still out there and it was, he had a mid-century modern, house that was full of mid-century modern furniture and, and so was mine in california so we i was like oh dude you got this piece or that piece and we kind of shared that passion for those you know antiques and things and then um he's just got he has great taste but he's got good taste in gear good taste in yeah. wine um and he <laughs> and, and yeah i think organic is a great way to describe his workspace because it is very organic it's it's, it's there's a lot of stuff without it being cluttered. It's very kind of a creative space. So there's, there's stuff around, but not like in an overwhelming way. It's more of an inspiring way. And then there'll yeah. just like a cool piece on the wall or a cool piece of old gear over here where, you, where it prompts you to go like, dude, what is that? Like, what, what does that sound like? Oh, well, let's try it. You know? Um, yeah. Very organic and very um, comfortable. You don't think you know, when you're working at Butch's place, you don't feel like you're in a studio. Yeah, you don't feel like you're in like the old school menu book, you know, um, right? Ocean Way or something like that. You know, I think from what I've seen, and obviously I've never even met him, but I, it, it looks to me like when you walk in that that could be your living room. That could be my living room, totally, or or my base or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. So how do you? I mean, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me again. How do you bring songs to the band? How does that, how does that work? Because obviously I, I mean, you and AJ are the main writers. How do you bring songs to the band? How do you bring songs to a producer? 
mean, what's, what, what's the process in letting the other guys know <laughs> this is what we're cutting? Well, I think um, it's, it's usually, um, it's changed a lot. You know, we, when we were, when we were a lot younger and we had a, a warehouse in Anaheim and, and yeah. it was kind of decked out like a man cave and we had, you know, couches and a fridge and a video game and, and it was basically our clubhouse and we would hang out there four or five nights a week and people would stop by and bring cases of beer. And we, we would come in with ideas or songs, but then you would sort of um, kind of beat them up for, for a while. And, and, you know, now, nowadays you get together. I mean, as you know, um, it's more of a focused effort. It's like, Hey, we're going to write with so-and-so Wednesday yeah. noon. And, um, whereas before we, there was no, there was no schedule of when we were going to write. We would, we would go to band practice every night. And then while we were there, if, if we had a new song to try out, we would bust it out. If not, we would just work on the set and work on, you know, our vocals and things like that. Now it's a much more focused effort. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll just kind of hash it out. I mean, it's no different than the way you and I would get together and write a country song. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. So and then we kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll chalk it up, get a little work tape of it or a demo of it. And then, and then just, then we go, yeah, we want to cut this one. <laughs> right. So as a guitar player, are you batting for the fans every time or are you striving per for perfection or is that the difference between live and studio? I mean, obviously live, man, you're having a cocktail, you're winking at the pretty girls and you're smashing a power chord. I mean, is there a huge difference between live and studio or are you just always trying to make everything as good and clean and in the pocket? Cause you guys are a super tight band. You know, and and which is one thing I've always loved about you guys, especially live, man. You guys are really tight. So are you are you striving for that? Well, it's a it's a it's kind of a balance, really, because obviously live, like you know, we're we're going for it, but we yeah sound great too, right? So we're not trying to just like you know let go of the neck and just let it, let it do what it's going to do. Um, but in the studio, I'm also not trying to be perfect ever because I'm not a perfect, I'm, you know, I'm, that's not the kind of guitar player that I am. And I wouldn't be able to really recreate that live anyway. So it, it's about getting a great performance that, yeah. has, that has a feeling to it, that has a vibe. I would rather, I would rather, same thing with a vocal or even a drum, even, you know, I don't like when everything is to a grid yeah. uh, or when everything is like super, super just buttoned up so tight that it doesn't have room to breathe. Um, you know, that's one of my favorite, like you listen to a Stone Temple Pirate Pilots record and, oh, and dude. you know, the drummer's just behind the beat the whole time, but it's yeah. so badass. Like you couldn't record an STP record to a click track, it would fucking, it would fuck it up, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and so I like to, you know, and I've always incorporated feedback, you know, I, I use vintage Marshall amps and when I'm in the studio, you know, even if I'm sitting like right here in my little home rig, I'm still holding my guitar up to the, to the Yamaha's and trying to get a little bit of that, uh, that feedback and the pick squeal and all the stuff that I do, you know, it's just part yeah. of the vibe. Oh. 
So your your tone also to me is always just been so huge for for your band because it's like it's a little heavier than a hard rock record, but it's not like Carrie King, you know. It's not metal. I mean, how did you decide to, or how did you find that that kind of middle ground of your tone? I mean, you said you're using vintage Marshalls. Have you always used Marshalls? I've always used vintage Marshalls. Um, probably my weapon of choice is the you know JMP fifty watt. I've got I got <sighs> a few of those. I've got a Love those. got a screaming combo, um, and um, but JCM eight hundreds. Um, I've got a few of those and I've always just loved that to me. It's the perfect, the, yeah. especially the, the, the seven, the early seventies and even like a, I'll take an early eighties JCM 800, you know, um, that to me is just rock one-on-one tone. Like <laughs> I, I can appreciate a Mesa boogie or I can appreciate a, yeah. Whatever, yeah. but that's to me, that's the, you know, the standard issue. That's, that's the building the, block. That's the Remington 870, you know? Exactly. exactly. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I use a Kemper live. I modeled, um, yeah. modeled a couple of my Marshalls. So it, they, it sounds just like it and I'll fly with that. And then I'll usually, um, you know, rent a Marshall or whatever. And then, um, over the years, you know, I really love bad cat. I love, um, uh, when James yeah. was alive, um, the stuff he was building, even after Bad Cat, when he was doing the Black Wings, I have a couple of those, and he he was just a ridiculously talented builder. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm, it's always kind of a. I always go back to the Marshall. I always go back to the Telly or the Les Paul. I always kind Dude. of go back to the just standard issue stuff. You know. I still I think. I still think you should take a telly and cover it in duct tape. I just think that'd be the coolest looking guitar. <laughs> well, Noodles from Offspring did that. Uh, oh, he did. Well, it was a, it wasn't it was an Ibanez Talman that he did it um, to, <laughs> but it was actually his signature. His signature Didn't know that. guitar. Yeah, dude, your guys's music. I mean, and I don't know. And please don't take this in any way, but a total compliment. But your music is getting even even more melodic than it was because to me you guys have always been super melodic i mean does it have anything with with to do with getting a little older to to getting to coming to nashville or or what do you what do you think i mean am i am i totally wrong am i totally offending you no not at all i i mean coming to nashville changed the way that we wrote, wrote songs and it changed the way um, it, 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 I think it had a very positive influence on us and it, and it opened up our eyes and our minds to a lot of different, not only talented writers who yeah. have remained close friends, but just the discipline of it, you know, the craft of it, the, um, it became more of a focus as opposed to a byproduct where, you know, like, like, back in the day with songs just sort of happened by accident. They yeah. weren't focused or forced. And then, and then, you know, years later, it wasn't that easy to get, you know, when we were off, when we were kids and, and bachelors and broke, it was easy for us to be at the studio five nights a week because we didn't have anything else to do. And, and we couldn't really afford to like be hanging out of the bar or whatever. So, right. 
you know, years later when people have businesses, side ventures, relationships, you know, kids, animals, car, whatever it is, you have to folk, you have to get everybody on the calendar, you know, to like yeah. have those kind of days. And, um, and so it was good around that time when stuff started to be all over the place, um, scatterbrain wise was around the time that I came to Nashville the first couple of times and saw like, Oh, you can, you can do this at noon. You, right. you don't have to do this at you know ten PM and, and you can actually do it on a couch in a living room. Okay, sweet. <laughs> we don't have to get rid of a case of beer before we start writing. <laughs> yeah, it it's pretty insane when you when you get in inside that this community and you figure out that oh, this is a job. We're gonna get together every day at ten or eleven or twelve and we're gonna write a song. It's cra- it's crazy. So um, you obviously write quite a bit with one of my best friends, Jeffrey Steele. Who else are you writing with in Nashville over the last 15 years? Who are some of your buddies? I know Jamie Johnson's one of your buddies. Yeah. Randy Hauser. Love all those guys. Jamie was just over at the house yesterday. Oh, um, cool. We're um, written a bunch with him. Uh, obviously, Steele is one of my – he's one of the most talented dudes. Yeah out there one of my favorite singers songwriters humans um and um he uh so he's been consistent all the way through uh yeah jonathan singleton uh oh yeah a badass and written a bunch with him there's a lot of great guys i mean there's there's um man there's just so many this this town never ceases to amaze me with yeah. the, just the, the raw talent and, and it, it, it's such a, an honor to like get in a room. Cause you know, we all have like, we all have these ebbs and flows and waves. Like we're, we're on a roll or, or we're in a lull, you know, and we're kind of, and, and sometimes it's awesome to, to hook up with somebody that's on a different part of the roller coaster, you know, yeah. sometimes it helps kind of pull you out or, you know, show yeah. you it's, it's, it's cool how, how the how it works in this town. Like That's that. a great way to put it. I've always thought that, <clears throat> excuse me again, holy crap. Over the years you go, you know, if you and me write 20 times in two years, some days you're going to write the song. Some days I'm going to write the song. Some days we're going to write the song. And yeah. you just go on, on any given day, man. That's why, you know, you just kind of go, I'm going to show up. I got nothing but a guitar. What do you want to do? And some days you're just on fire. You can't wait to get there. And you go, I got a verse and a chorus. What else do you want to hear? Yeah. And it's it's just such an interesting, and it, it's still just, I mean, I've been in this business for 35 years or whatever. And just that, just that, some you know you start, and there is no song. And three or four late, three or four hours later, there's this this song, man. And it's I, just it's so spiritual and ethereal and magical. It just I, I don't even know how to explain it, man. I I'm with you, man. I've told people that um, when people say like, so how do you like to do it? Is it the, you know, is it the words first or is it the music first? Right, it, right, right, right. I'm like, I'll take it however I can get it, man. I'll, I'll <laughs> literally, if I can find, if I can be inspired by, by a food label, you know, I'll yeah. take it. It's like, but there's something about that room. And I've, <laughs> I've, we've discussed, I've discussed it with all my friends that write it. It is, 
there's something that just happens when you're in the room. And what's what I really find kind of fascinating about about Nashville and about the the writer community is nobody's like, oh yeah, no shit, I know, I, I this is easy, I, I know the way to do this. Right. So just trust me. <laughs> Everybody is equally as fascinated with the process of it's just like like you know wait, you know waiting for lightning to strike and being able to harness it in a bottle mm. and it's like you know and it and it yeah. and none of us that I've no nobody that I've met has been has lost that sense of like wow yeah well, like you just said we walked into a room there was nothing we're walking out with this thing that's alive and breathing now and yeah. and that I can't get out of my head <laughs> like that's the best man that's man. that's I mean, it, uh, it, uh, the only thing I can compare it to is, is like golf. You know, it's that getting that one, you know, killer drive in or, you know, you know, hitting that birdie shot that makes you go play golf again. Because yeah. it's like, even though if you go out there and you hack and you suck at it and you know it, well, I, I've crushed a 300-yard drive before. I know I can do it again, <laughs> you know, and it keeps coming back. That's so funny, man. I just, I just got new clubs and I've been taking a lot of lessons. And that's what I keep telling my teacher is I, I need one good drive, one good iron shot and one good putt. And then I'm coming back again next week. Yep. Dude, that's amazing, man. So, so you and AJ started the pop-off brothers with this awesome song, sons and daughter of summer. Are you guys, is this, is this a, uh, obviously lit's not done, are you, but are you just going out and just doing something just for fun, just for you guys, just for, so you can hang out more? Well, <clears throat> I think it was, what was it, two years ago? We put a record out that we recorded here in town. Yeah. With Corey Crowder and called These Are The Days. Yeah. And it was very much a country-leaning record. Yeah. And, um, cause I think that it was kind of like it had been, it had been a few years since we put a record out. We were writing all these songs that we were really stoked on and AJ and I just kind of decided like, Hey, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. And if lit fans give a shit, then they could come check it out. And, Which they will. And I think that it, I, I think it's really I, I'm, as a record, I think it's one of our best. I think yeah. the songs on it are, are, are really great. But um, I think it was a little confusing to both the country community and the rock community, even though, you know, my worst enemy, I joke about it. I mean, it, if you walk up and down Broadway, well, pre-COVID, but if you walk up and down <laughs> Broadway, every country band in any honky-tonk was playing my worst enemy two or three yeah. times a night. Um, country fans know it. Um, Chase Rice and Dustin Lynch and other guys, you know, put it in their set and the crowd goes ape shit and, so it's not like it's not that weird for us to love country the same way country loves certain rock songs. Yeah, and, for sure. But I also think that it 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 it's a lot easier for AJ and I. People will know when they when they see Pop Up Brothers, they'll know it's us. So if they yeah. care, if they want to check it out, then they can. But we're going to focus lit back towards the you know the what people expect out of it. You know, we're going to go back to that kind of 99 to 2003 era of rock and roll, which I think is long overdue, not just for lit, but just for rock and roll in general. I, I, I really Amen. miss that era of great music. And, um, and I think, you know, 
when you drive around these days and listen to rock radio, it's very much, um, it's, it's nostalgia in the sense that, you know, you still hear us and offspring and blink and, and, uh, you know, whatever those bands were, Jimmy Eat world, um, it, it, it's like, it's all that era. And then it's like some new stuff that you're like, wait, what the hell is this? It, it, yeah. we, we, we skipped like a decade of like new band. I mean, there was a couple, you know, but, but when you look at the right. late, those festivals that we were playing, man, with like, it was like, you know, Kid Rock and the offspring and red hot chili peppers and stone temple pilots. And, you know, all these huge, no doubt. And, and, uh, Foo Fighters and, um, you know, and even like Black Sabbath, we got, you know, Kiss, we got to play with and just like these monster, monster lineups of yeah. just, you know, crazy bands that had sold millions and millions of records. And then it was almost like 2005 came around and it was just crickets, you know, when it came to like that, just that energy of, of that yeah. genre. And I, don't, I don't really know why or what happened, but, um, um, that's a really good point. It, it's it's weird to see on like Instagram and stuff that uh, Pantera's first record is thirty years old. <laughs> That's just so weird. I mean, like everything in the world, every day makes me feel old, but that really makes me feel old. Yeah, feel old that ours is you know that place in the sun is twenty one years old this year. Is it really? Jeez. Oh yeah, it is. Wow. But, uh, we had this whole place in the sun turns twenty one tour planned and. Um, hmm. before we got fired <laughs> before we lost our jobs this year um, but uh, I say that actually we're going to Texas tomorrow to play oh yeah I was going to ask you about that what are you What are you doing in Texas we're playing a show it's about an hour outside of Dallas and it's a, um, it's an outdoor like concerts in the park kind of series. okay cool and um, you know it's been a little nerve wracking we've had um, yeah We've had guys in the band and girls of guys in the band that have been concerned and of course we're concerned and, and we've yeah. been in daily contact with the promoter. Um, we have our own contract writer now. It's the, and, cause we do, we're playing Sturgis next month. We've got, okay. we've probably, we had like 50 shows and now I think maybe we have six or something, but wow. we're going to do our best to hang on to them and to do them because yeah. One, I think we can do it safely. Um, all the protocols that we're going to do, I mean, we're going to, we're all going to monitor each other and make sure that everybody's good and healthy. Yeah. Um, make sure that the, that the runners, you know, clean and wearing a mask and the vehicle's clean and we're wearing masks on the plane in the hotel and making sure that, you know, there's no stragglers or extra people hanging out backstage and just keep it yeah. tight. And then once we're up there, we will have gone through all of that to get there. And as long as the crowd will be, you know, show the same respect back and, you know, throw yeah, a mask yeah. on if they come up to the front of the stage. Um, well, this isn't a drive-in show. This is an actual show show. Well, it's, a, it, it, it's, you know, there's going to be lawn chairs and blankets and, you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, at least I think, I think there will be people standing up, um, but, and, and, it, and it's tough, you know, it's tough as the artist. like, you know, you saw what happened to Chase and, and yeah. uh, it, it's like, there's these people, you know, I was in California last week and I was at an outdoor restaurant with my mask, took it off. Cause I was sitting at the table having a drink 
every, all the tables were spread out. It was just, you know, um, and just, do you see this asshole come walking in with his camera and he's just walking around filming people and, and you know, there's one at every show too, just trying to get that yeah. one shot that they can, you know, fuel the flames for. And it's like, you know, I, I just, I, I, I think, and we'll see, man, I'll, I, I'll, I'll call you next week and let you know how it went, but yeah. I don't see the difference between, you know, if we can get, if we can do all these things that we're doing to get up onto this stage and as long as the promoter and the security of them tell people, Hey, you know, stay in your, stay on your blanket, stay in your easy up, stay on your tailgate, or, or if you're going to stand up, put your mask on. Yeah. It's no different than the crowds I see at Kroger or Home Depot, man. You know, it's, Amen. It, it, so it's like, we can do it. We can do it safely. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. I think it has to be more of a respect thing. I think fans, the, yeah. I mean, look, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of us left that have any shows, whether they're for us to go play or for you to go see. Yeah. There are very few and far between left in, uh, in 2020. Yeah. And the only way that they're going to survive and stay on the calendar is if people start seeing pictures of crowds all wearing masks so that the people that are waiting to attack live music, just like they're attacking bars and everything else. I mean, we're just giving them food for, I mean, we're just, we're, we're giving them fuel to attack us with. And it's just, just put the fucking mask on and let's, How, have, a rock, let's have a rock show. And then absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been saying for, for months now, it's a lot easier to wear a mask than it is to wear a ventilator. Well, and, and here's the thing too. Um, and I was, I was telling this to one of my friends the other day, I was, you know, I don't know that masks work. Yeah. But I don't know that they don't. Right. And I don't want to be on the wrong end of that. But it's more of a respect thing. Like I wear one when I go to the yeah. store, I wear one when I go to a restaurant out of respect for the employees there. It's not about me and my political beliefs or whether I think they right. work or not, or is it an N95 or a piece of cotton? I don't really give a shit. I'm just saying, like, hey man, I care about you. I appreciate that you're here working. I know that you're, you know, um on the meeting you halfway. It's just a, it's just a it's just a show of and I don't know where it got political I don't know where it got yeah I don't know, you know I just feel like it's a sign of respect like holding the door open for somebody or you know asking right. somebody to need a hand when they've got a flat tire it's like wear a fucking mask when you go in the store that poor bastard has to work fucking eight hours today yeah and he doesn't care what you think or what your politics <laughs> are if you're right or you're wrong just just show a little love and I think. Um, I think with, with music and with shows, um, I think those are essential, especially now that people are going on day 100 and whatever it is, lockdown stuff. And you've been, you, you've had so many of your freedoms kind of ripped away from you, lost your livelihood, or, you know, you're about to start losing your unemployment, all these different things. Right. Yeah. And then you've got a show that you can go to next Saturday and blow off some steam for an hour and a half. And like, you know, and, and I think that is super important, super essential Mm -hmm. for, for just for sanity's sake and for, uh, and it's, and it unites people and it, and it, it's a positive thing. It makes you feel better. Um, and when you take that away from people, it's just one more thing you're taking away. It's just further down the rabbit hole of despair mm. and hopelessness and all that stuff. And I'm not trying to say, believe me, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm saying live music in general. Like, yeah. you know, if, if there's a chance that you can go 
see a concert in the park or see a drive-in. Listen, for me, for you, for anybody going to play a show, there's nothing different about what we're about to go play in Texas than a drive-in. We still have to travel to get there. Our crew has to travel to get there. We're all still in close proximity with our band and our crew, and we've got to do all the same shit. Once we get on the stage, I don't care if you're in bubbles or cars or, or, you know, helicopters, our job is the same, you know? So it's like, um, so I, you know, so that's why I say, you know, I think it can be done. I think it can be done safely. I hope so. You know, but everyone has to just ditch the politics and just make it more about like, I'm not fucking up my chances going to this concert. You know, I want to, you know, Man, the the one thing I I completely agree with you, what you're saying there. The one thing that's it's getting super weird is the Live Nation thing with guarantees and everything, just absolutely raping bands, you know, in the in the future. And I I hope they get that under control because that's going to kill every small to mid level act. You know, it's it's not going to kill you guys. It's not going to kill Journey. It's not going to kill Def Leppard. But it's going to kill every small act. And I, I hope they get that under control, man. Because that that's just what they're doing. I th- I th- I think is awful. Well, it, I think instead of I mean, I understand it, and I understand the the fear of because everybody wants to start putting stuff on the books for next year. Yeah. But, we've seen how quickly that can change just on a dime Yeah, here in Nashville, just what today. And they said, Oh, we're going to go ahead and extend the, uh, the current bar curfew till mid August or something. There's there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. And just, they're going to keep extending it. You know, it's like, it's like when they raised, when they raised the price of your, you know, water or, or anything, they don't ever call you and say, Hey, guess what, man, now we're out of that slump. We're going to lower the prices now. Right. The same thing when you give these guys way too much power to make just blanket statement rules like that, they're not gonna they're not gonna be incentivized to undo that shit. Not anytime soon. It's like, but hey, let's see how much farther we can push this. You know, it's like fuck, man. Hundred and twenty something days. Something's not working, right? Something's not. Um, but. And I'm not one of these. I'm not saying anything one way or the other. I'm not saying it's like let's just open it and fuck it. That's not. I'm not saying that either. I'm just no. saying uh, no. Yeah. At, at some point it's just kind of like, all right, we, we get it. Yeah. So can we go back to being responsible for our own health and our own safety and make our own decisions <laughs> and go out and do all the things that we need to do to protect ourselves and our family. And I have elderly parents and the last thing I want to do is expose them to anything, but I think, all right, I get it, man. I'll wear my mask. I'll wash my hands. Can I please go outside and play? Yeah, dude. Yeah, we're we're going to a wedding here in a couple of weeks, and my parents are eighty three, and my mom has bad asthma, and so we've said, you know what, Tennessee is one of the top fourteen states as far as being the worst right now. I go, if you tell us not to come to the wedding, we're not coming to the wedding, and it's like, well, we so we figured out ways around it. But anyway, I mean, oh man. Anyway, well, I just think at the end of the day, we, we've got to, we all need some sense of normalcy, even in small yeah. days. Yep, for and, sure. And, and I just think, you know, doing not to dwell on the whole mask thing, but little things that we can do. 
honestly, more restaurants would be open right now if people would have just worn their masks in the restaurant. It wasn't yeah. a picture of a guy sitting at, you know, with, with a mask on that fucked it up for everybody. It was the guys going in and getting in fights with managers and, and servers. Right. But they refused to wear one. It's like, well, not, you know, now we're all sort of screwed. And, <laughs> and it's the same thing with the shows and, and anything else. So little, little things, baby steps. I hope, I hope that this time next year we're laughing at yeah. all of this and going, God, can you believe that we went through all that. Yeah. Um, but just, just, um, just a respect thing, I think. Yeah. Well, you want to do my lightning round real quick? Well, yeah. <laughs> all right. What's your favorite book? Oh. Uh, shit. Well, I've only read three <laughs> in my life. Um, I loved um, Chuck Zito's book, his Hell's Angels book. Okay, um, cool. I love, uh, what's it called? Uh, I have it here and he autographed it for me. And I really love that one. I love the Eagles, uh, Take It to the Limit, the the uh, story of the Eagles. I love, uh, I've always been a doc, like an autobiography guy, especially on the yeah. road. I loved Hammer of the Gods, the Led Zeppelin book. Oh, yeah. And, um, never been a real big fiction guy. Um Something about like guys on tour want to read about other guys on tour. Right. <laughs> like, relate to it, I guess. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think this year I've so far I've read about 30, 36 books, 37 books. Yeah. And just, I don't read a lot of fiction because I figure if I'm going to read something, I'm going to read something that's going to help me out or educate me. But yeah. so are, are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower. What's the last gift you gave someone? Uh, I think I give, I give a lot of people gifts all the time, but probably the last significant thing I gave somebody, I gave, I gave this uh, kid in Orange County one of my Gibson Flying Vs before I moved. Oh, man. Because he was just shredding it up and, and – uh, elementary school kid in his in his speed metal band i was like here man <laughs> dude that's awesome but um that's gosh, killer i might need to go buy somebody a gift today <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, you mentioned this an hour ago what's the first concert you saw how old were you and did you get a t-shirt yep still have the t-shirts in shreds but um Iron Maiden Killers Tour. Yes. Opening for UFO in 1981. Opening uh, for UFO. Maybe it was 80 because I was nine. My brother was wow. seven. Wow. And that was the, that's what started it all, man. That was, that was, um, we just walked out into the arena and saw Maiden on stage. And dude, the, from the next day on, we were like, Anytime anybody asked us what we were going to do when we grew up, we were like, oh, we're going to be in rock and roll band. That is so funny because the last three times I've seen Maiden, they play Dr. Doctor is the song that gets them on stage. Or they go on. Yeah, that's been their, that's been their intro tape for, since the beginning, I think. Has it really? Yeah. <sighs> so when, you, when you hear Dr. Doctor come on, you know they're coming on next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kiss, when Kiss would put on uh, uh, Won't Get Fooled Again. Right. And then the second scream, the volume would go up, and then you knew that, <laughs> that they were coming out. So what song do you wish you would have written or sang on? 
I know that's a toughie. There are so many songs that I think that about, like the songs, songs I wish I would have written. And most, most of them are, um, One of my favorite all of all times is uh, New Kid in Town, the Eagles. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, just something about the, the structure of it, the where, where the bridge goes, where the second module, where the modulation and the second. Oh, just when you thought like, okay, man, I was high five and perfect song. Oh, wait, there's more? Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> oh, shit, there's even more? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I'm just a huge Eagles fan. I just fucking love all the, all their... Um, I love that. And I love Henley. I just love that, that yeah. genre. But I mean, um, I sure wish I would have been in the room when uh, Steely wrote, um, you know, these days. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. You or know, Singleton, um, uh, Diamond Rings and Old Bar Stools. Oh, yeah. I did. Just one where you just go, fuck, man. God, so good. Man, I, I would. Uh, there was a time when I was writing all the time with Bob DePiro, and we probably wrote forty songs. And one morning, I was in his office, and I was just so dejected. And he's going like, "What the crap's your problem?" And I said, "I heard this song on the radio on my way in, and all I could think of is, I've got." I said, "Either, either." why didn't I think of that? Or I've got 10 songs way better than that, that are already like that. And I said, I just don't know how to deal with it. And he just looked at me and he goes, you write another song. <laughs> and that's all he said. And he picked up his guitar. He goes, you ready to go? I said, yep. And that was exactly that. It's like, there's always going to be, Somebody more clever, more whatever. Anyway. All right. So if money was no object, what guitar would you buy? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I, all my guitars. So I'm, ter- I'm a terrible collector. I've got a, a, a bunch. Of, <laughs> I, I, most of my guitars look like they've been dragged around by my truck for a few miles on the road. Yeah. Uh, and so I would never really want anything that was so expensive that I couldn't play it or I couldn't bust it out. You know? Yeah. Um, I used to have one. I used to have this one, uh, it was one of 10. Um, and it was a custom playboy guitar. And I had a picture of me and Hugh Hefner holding it. And, um, and I used to keep it. It was a Les Paul, the- right? It was a Les Paul. And, yeah. And they only made 10 of them. They had another series where they made a few more, but, um, uh, this was literally, I think it was marked number 10 of 10. And um, I used to keep it in my gun safe because it was such a you know, crazy <laughs> piece. But, but I also left the tag on it and I never played. It was my spinal tap, you know. Right. Played. But um, I don't know, man. I, I think if my money was no object, I don't know that I would spend it on guitar. I think I'd be... But I mean, you you wouldn't buy a '59 Les Paul or something like that, or I like mean, you know. Probably would just I I would just to say I had one. Yeah. But then what? I, I got to put it in my climate controlled. You know. It's funny, man. Under lock and key, like I don't I don't need that kind of stress. I've played three. Yeah, I've played three '59 Les Pauls, 
and they're just they're amazing but i don't know if they're amazing up here in my head or if they're really amazing guitars and then i think like you know kirk hammett bought gary moore's 59 peter green les paul it's like well that must now be the saddest les paul in the world because kirk hammett's playing it no offense to him but it's like <laughs> that's a great guitar it's like yeah i don't know i'm i'm, yeah, I'm with you um or, um john stone buddy of mine in town writer yeah. musician producer he if, if when it comes to collecting guitars, I could kind of live a little bit vicariously through him because he's the guy that will he'll just figure out a way to buy it. And so if you've got one of those and it's and it's for sale, his whole like his whole like mission for the next till he gets it is how he's gonna <laughs> get it. And he's got some crazy guitars, but he's always telling me, Oh dude, you gotta try the blah blah blah. I'm like, fuck, I'm I, I'm afraid for you to bring that in my house, man. Right. <laughs> Have you yeah. seen my cars? <laughs> so if you weren't doing this, if you weren't touring the world as a rock star and writing songs and, and loving your life, what the crap would you be doing? Well, you know, I was in the um, restaurant bar industry for 15 years and I, I have a passion for that. I have a passion for the hospitality industry and, um, so I think I would probably be yeah you know, diving into that and 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 I um I don't know man I guess it depends on how much money I get have in the bank when I when I because <laughs> I would I would love to just go hang out with my, my kids in college you know and I'd love to go out and visit him a lot more often I'd yeah. love to my wife's crushing it with her business and I'd love to even just let her be the the hero for a little while and 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 you know, work on some projects around the house or something, but man, I, I'm one of those guys that just, I'm always doing three or four things, whether it's, you know, going to play a show tomorrow, writing a song a day, get back working on this, you know, yeah. real estate thing or this or that. We also, you know, host an Airbnb and it, I just, I need to be able to go all in in a couple different directions so that yeah. I go back to something I'm, I'm inspired and fresh. I don't, I, I don't do well when I'm just focused on one thing for too long. Yeah. So I like having a few irons in the fire. So what's your, what's your wife's business? She's in the, um, she's in the hair. Well, she's a hairdresser, but she's okay. in the hair care business. Okay. So, um, yeah, she's just killing it. That's awesome, awesome, man. So what are you, what are you listening to these days? Man, I we we um, we set up a uh, a playlist just called Nashville Summer, and we've been adding to it and subtracting to it. I mean, it's everything from, um, I mean, almost every band we've talked about today yeah. is on there, from the Eagles to Elvis Costello to Kenny Rogers to Butch Walker to the Deftones to Stone Temple Pilots. Um, you know, all our friends, obviously Jamie and Thousand Horses and Cadillac Three and you yeah. know and and you know, bands like that. And then um and I've been listening to a lot of the bands that we were into in that kind of late nineties era, like that never really got the credit that they deserve. Bands like Letters to Cleo. Oh yeah. Um, had an album called Go, and that was really a big influence on us. And so I've been listening to that a lot, been listening to um 
a band called the Muffs, which was kind of a, a, hmm. a girl-fronted um, pop punk band from LA, very underrated and cool. Um, and, and then just stuff like the U. I love the used. I love that first used record. I think it's yeah. a fucking masterpiece. And um, um, and Avenged Sevenfold. I mean, I mean it's just yeah. so across the board, you know. I just, um, but I've been really getting back into that. What I was listening to from like '95 to '05, and um, that's been pretty fun. That's killer, man. So, so but my go-to is always the Eagles, though. I could just, you know, if yeah. I had to, you know, the whole deserted island thing. I mean, if you just give me greatest hits one and two, I'll be fine. Have you seen them since Vince Gill has joined them? I saw them three times on that tour. I saw them here <sighs> at Bluestone, and I saw them at the Forum in LA, and then I saw them just randomly. Um, my son was out on the road with us uh, a couple summers ago and we had a day off in Philly and they just happened to be playing the stadium that night. So man, I got a ticket and took my son and, um, is it great? Oh God. I mean, <laughs> so good. And it's just, fuck. I mean, he just, I remember the, the first show we saw was at Bridgestone and it was kind of Vince's, I mean, you know, of course he's, freaking mayor i wish he was the mayor of nashville yeah um, he's kind of he's the uh um probably one of the most revered guys in town right oh man playing play in his hometown arena but still the eagles fans at first were just kind of like yeah. you know and uh he goes into that first song and uh, and you know right after the first chorus the crowd just stands up standing ovation and for the rest of the night he had everybody eating out of the palm of his hands but just such a classy dude you know with yeah. can nail all the vocal parts and, and brilliant guitar player and, and when you think about it like that makes absolute perfect sense for the eagles because absolutely look at their, look at their history look when they got joe walsh you know yeah. look at some the the moves that they've done they've always been able to grab like the fucking baddest ass dude in town but you also shoes. go back to Bernie Ledden and stuff. It's like, this is a hillbilly band, if you think about it. I mean, it's not now, but if you think about the roots of the Eagles, man, they're a freaking bunch of hillbillies. It's a bunch of Martins, and we're sitting around the campfire writing songs, you know? I mean, yeah. so Vince is a complete fit for that, and he's um, unbelievably talented. And the other thing that was crazy about it, too, is Deacon Fry looks like looks so much like his dad mm. watching it from the audience is a little bit surreal because he it's almost like you know 70s fry is playing with 2018 yeah. rest of the guys and it's and it's almost kind of trippy but he does a really good job too like you know representing his dad and yeah um, that's and cool just, man i can't wait to see him again next year so what's next for uh, for Jeremy Popoff? Well, we got a couple shows. Like I said, we've got um, we just dropped an old new song um, a couple weeks ago called "Get Back." We did a little video for it. Um, that's lit. And then Popoff Brothers, you mentioned Sons and Daughters Summer. Yeah. Um, that we wrote with with uh, Singleton and Kenton Bryant, who's another just badass in town. Yeah. Um, and um, we've got three or four more Pop Off Brothers songs in the can. Cool. And we're just we're just trying to figure out which one we want to put out next and um, go in there and get it mixed and uh, 
So just more, more of that. And we've just been, you know, since I moved out here four months ago, AJ just moved out here last week. Um, during that whole moving process, we've come across all these different gems. You know, we've got the original demo of Miles uh and Miserable, wow. and uh, we're going to be putting those out. There's a documentary in the works about that song. That's um, cool. And just a bunch of little stuff, man. I mean, and, and trying to put out as much. Well, we found a live in New York um, concert that was pro professionally recorded. Sat a great, so we put that out. And um, that's cool. Couple records that came out that weren't previously available digitally. Um, we put those out finally. So just trying to, you know, just kind of keep putting stuff out. It seems like you almost have to put something new out every month these yeah. days. Um, you're also one of the only guys I know that has walked on Pamela Anderson's boobs. So that's kind of (laughs) cool. That was not, that that was cool for sure. (laughs) She was very gracious to let us do that. (laughs) (laughs) She was very gracious, (laughs) man. Thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate this means the world to me, man. It's it's so, so good to hook up with you again, man. It's been, it's been way too long. Well, when they let us out of jail, we'll have to get together in person. And Amen. We'll, we'll crank one out together. It'll be, it'll be great. We, we're long overdue, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. And by the way, I love the Bell and Ross watch. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. It's like a tank. <laughs> yeah. Man, have a great evening. Thank you, my you brother. Too, brother. I'll see you soon, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Later.